0: Is, what is the former nursery, but is also a Sunday school class. We're going to use that together for a little bit to see if we're able to do that and keep everybody off the front end or the north end of the building. So, if you have nursery age children, they'll be brought in there tonight, and the uh, which is the classroom all the way at the end of the foyer when you come in. And that means that your school age children will be in service with us, and we are excited about that. Now, we know that means that it puts a little more pressure on mom and dad to uh, keep up with kiddos. Right, but your children need to be in worship with us every now and then and, and see mom and dad engaged in worship. Amen. So we're looking forward to it. I would rather have a little disruption and controlled chaos, right, than, not, than it be stale. And kids add a lot to the service, even, right, and, and the, especially the worship service. They're not that good at amen just yet on preaching, but they're, they're, they worship the Lord and they add a lot to it. Membership class, membership class. So that service is at 5 p.m. Just so you be reminded of it. And I do like that. Um, I had to come down last Sunday about 4:30 because I ignorantly messed up the locks on the door. Didn't get the door locked, and then that means that something caused it to open, and then the alarm went off, and I had to go correct it. And there's nobody to blame but me. And so I drive down the mountain, and I thought, you know, it's going to be better coming to church with daylight. Right, Because if it was 6 p.m., then you'd be coming in, in darkness and going home in darkness. So it'll be a little bit better because when you come at, at 5 p.m., it will be still light. Membership class. If you're interested in membership in our assembly, that's going to begin next to Sunday. It'll be right in the pastor's office during the Sunday school hour. There are membership applications freshly printed. They're in the foyer. They should be on that Connect table. If not, they would be in the office. On the Connect table, you'll find a deacon nomination form. You've got the entirety of the month of January If there's someone in our fellowship that you know has the qualifications of a deacon and you would like to nominate them, then fill that out, put it in the offering container, that secure offering container, fold it up, put it in there, and then it'll get to me. And I have two more, and then I'm finished before I go right to the word of the Lord. If you were here Wednesday night, you know that we've started a Wednesday night study called Strengthening Your Marriage over the next eight weeks. We did an introduction to it this past week. I went back and listened to it. We're trying to record it either for podcasts or hopefully for video, in case you can't participate or be here in person, then maybe you can at least follow the podcast. Husbands and wives, singles, widows, widowers, we're going to make sure that everybody gets a seat at the table and everybody can participate. So we passed out 61 books, had a number still looking that we didn't have, so we ordered 25 additional books. And then I've also photocopied, and I'm not breaking uh, copyright laws because i'm purchasing a book for every photocopy that i make but i copied chapter one so that way if you said man i think i can i'll be here i want to be here this wednesday on my desk don't leave today without it you'll find chapter one photocopied and you could go ahead and join with us the, the service the, the the message will just be the lesson will be um will be kind of a culmination it's not going to be necessarily a review It might be an extension of it and our own dr phil brassfield is going to teach the very first one Come on, somebody. Amen. And so that's going to be a great night this Wednesday night. So if you're interested in participating with us, then at least take that lesson copy that's in the foyer, or excuse me, on my desk. Just see me after service. I'll make sure that I get it to you. And then I should have those books. We have priority uh, shipped those. They should be in by Wednesday. So we should be able to give them to you Wednesday night. And lastly, but not least, Young at Heart is going to be postponed this Tuesday night. This is the typical, normal. Time to gather, but they're gonna postpone it and reschedule it at a later date and time. So I know that's a lot, but that's the sign of a healthy church. Right? That we've got a lot going on, and we're grateful that we do, and I'm grateful for all of your participation. Um if you were here last Sunday, how stir is the final service of twenty twenty-three, and we were so blessed to have Dr. Brassfield minister the word. And what a powerful word that it was. You were made for more. And, 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 and he said he just simply extracted that from a much larger study that he's doing um, that maybe we can uh, coerce him into uh, sharing additional parts of that throughout the course of this year. But it moved my heart. I could tell it was moving our church family. It's kind of stirred me to take advantage of that message as a lead into today. Now, I've been in a series called The Word of Faith, And it became the journey of faith. And then we've been with the children of Israel in the book of Numbers. And I'll pick that up at the right time here in a week or two, perhaps next week. But I just really felt as I prayed in my office uh, in in prayer for this particular uh, first Sunday. I want this Sunday to have an impact. Come on, somebody. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to journey with me in a very familiar passage of Scripture. I've preached from this text many times over the years. It just resounded to my spirit and the Lord was just kind of tweaking it a little bit. How many of you know that you can never exhaust the Word of God from all of the depth and the truths that it contains? It's certainly not you can wring it out and say there's nothing left in it. It's not like a barrel that you can turn upside down and shake and say there's simply nothing left to get. We always give life and even sometimes the most familiar of passages the Lord illuminates a particular part of it that you've never seen before and it seems to radiate upon the rest. So we're going to read 15 verses of scripture today. And that's all that we'll read through the entirety of the sermon back to a familiar passage. It's in Genesis chapter 35 and when you found it if you would stand and honor the reading of scripture. If you won't tell anybody I am reading from the King James version of the Bible as always but In private devotion, I've been edging over to the New King James a little bit. And maybe, maybe one day I'll bring it to the pulpit with me. We'll just see. I'm not there yet, but I'm closer than I was. That's just me talking out loud. Chapter 35 of Genesis. Dr. Brassfield was uh, in Genesis last week for the message with Isaac. Isaac sold in the land during the time of economic downturn. And God rewarded him faithfully. We're going to kind of backtrack. We're going to be earlier in this narrative, but not by reading, just by exhortation. So let's read it here. It's on the screen in large print in front of your eyes. Here it says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all who were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, Bethel or Bethel, however we want to say it. And I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods that were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them or buried them under the oak I think the New King James says, the terabith, but the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar, and he called the place El-Bethel, because there God appeared unto him, "'when he fled from the face of his brother. "'Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, "'and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, "'and the name of it was Shatakai Mosiah. "'And God appeared unto Jacob again "'when he came out of Padanaram Padan- and blessed him. "'And Jacob said unto him, "'Thy name is, or excuse me, and God said unto him. "'So God appears to Jacob, "'and God, and, and God says to him, "'Thy name is Jacob.' Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel. That's good, isn't it? Uh, shall be thy name. And he shall, and he shall, and he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Now Jacob have already been fruitful and multiplied. We'll elaborate on that in a moment. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. Now, we're going to read these last two verses. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Isn't that powerful passage of scripture? So, Dr. Brasfield ministered a word that you were more uh, made for more, and then we just all took that in our heart that God had something for us, both individually and corporately, maybe even beyond the scope of things that we're finding ourselves being involved in, even right now. That God is always taking us, leading us from glory to glory. And so, but with this thought, I want to just share with you today, in order to go forward in 2024. Sometimes you need to go back. So I want you to just think on that for a moment. Let that get in your spirit. In order to go forward, you need to go back. Let's pray about that, and let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, I love you. I feel humbled. I feel inadequate, Father, insufficient to be able to minister, to stand, Father, on this, what we call, a pulpit of a sacred platform, Father, where men of old and women of old have ministered the Word of God with deep-seated holiness and conviction. Father, I feel shallow in my relationship and my experience, God, and I'm just going to pray that all of those things can be laid aside and there will be a supernatural anointing of the Spirit of the living God. The Father, the Word of God will be preached freely in this place today. God, I read in the Word of God that you can send an angel who can, Father, part the heavens and come right here invisible to the natural eye, but he can take a coal of fire and touch my lips and I can speak as the oracles of God. I pray today that the hearts of the people would be ready to receive the Word of God. And I prayed this many times, publicly and privately, and I want to pray it again amongst the church family. Let preaching come easy in this house today. Father, give me the tongue of the learned that I might have a word in season for he that is weary. It's in Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's children said, amen and amen. Occasionally along the course of ministering the word, you find yourself ministering, not theology and not even doctrine, but you find yourself in a narrative, and sometimes it's in a... A narrative that is almost an obscure narrative, it's kind of out of the way, people have overlooked it and the Lord shows you something about it. And then uh, other times you find yourself kind of following a very familiar path that has been trodden by many, many hundreds and thousands and uh, millions of believers that have read and followed a familiar path and journey. And yet, here I am as a pastor attempting to minister a much broader passage of scripture than what we read here today because there's a much deeper and broader story in doing so today sometimes the doctrine is not found in point one point two point three it's just the narrative you have to become engrossed by it i found that in my preaching in my own personal fellowship with god when i read a story or a narrative somehow some way i have to literally take myself out of where I'm reading, whether I am in an office or a car, automobile, or in my living room, wouldn't matter, and I have to find myself almost, in one sense, being transported, I know, don't make that weird, I'm just talking about in spiritual connotations, into the very text itself, till I am breathing the same air, I'm seeing the same sight, I'm hearing the same sounds, for it's in that context the Lord can speak to you. The word becomes alive to us. Let me tell you a little bit about Jacob. Jacob was born to the most famous of all biblical families. He is the third generation patriarch of the original patriarch Abraham. The one that God had called out of Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldees. And he's made the journey down into the land of Canaan. We were with Dr. Brassfield in the doctrine that he preached in Isaac and how that uh, from there we see that God opened the womb of Isaac, excuse me, opened the womb of Isaac's wife, Rebekah, and gave them sons. And these two sons were actually twins, and there was actually contention in their family from the very beginning. I mean, even in the womb, the Scripture says, Rebecca. Is, you know, and without ultrasound in those days, she just knows something is not right. There's a lot of movement, a lot of activity that's going on inside her womb, and she comes and inquires, and the Lord speaks a prophetic word to her and tells her there are two children, which would be two nations that are within her womb, and they are literally wrestling within themselves. And so the first comes out; his name is Esau because he was red, he was hairy as a, as a little infant, and, and reddish in color, and so they name him Esau and uh and then it says that the second one comes out the second child uh, so obviously they are not identical twins is called Jacob because in the birthing pro- I'll tell you what God is very specific God reveals things in the scriptures in the birthing process the hand of Jacob comes out and takes hold of the heel of his brother. So as his brother is delivered and before Jacob's body can even be fully taken from his mother's womb, then he's reached forward and caught hold of the heel of his brother. And so therefore he's named Jacob, which means a supplanter. And that kind of sets the context for this family. And so he's born into a godly family, the family of heritage, the family of patriarchal promise. But I'll tell you what, godly families are not, exempt from struggle amen (laughs) Amen. and so there's there's struggle in this family as well and some of it comes because the personalities of these boys as they begin to grow and to go into their adolescence and then into their teenage years it becomes apparent that they're quite different in personality and the differences in their personality form a little bit of allegiances between the parents as if they are it's on one sense kind of parting the relationship some we find that that Isaac is drawn to Esau because Esau seems to be more of uh, an outdoorish type of young boy. He likes to go outside. He likes to play baseball with his dad. He likes to shoot in basketball hoops outside. He likes to go hunting. He uh, has probably a Matthew bow. Uh, they probably got him a four-wheeler. He's probably watching the hunting public on YouTube uh, from there. And so he's got a deep bond with his father. So he's sending him out to go and hunt. And his dad really loves the meals that his son, He's, I mean, he's the meat eater. He's going out and killing the game and cooking it too as well. So, I mean, he is the apple of his father's eye. But then the Bible tells us about Jacob, on the other hand. Jacob's quite a bit different. And he's uh, a little bit different. He's not ephemeral. In any capacity, as we'll see later, because he was pretty much uh, definitely active relationally with the opposite sex. But he is closer to his mother and he likes to dwell in the tent. Uh, you know, you've heard me say it before, HGTV is probably one of his favorite shows, and he likes to cook, the cooking channel. He's probably even on the shopping channel ordering a few things. He's probably got an Apple Watch. He's got all of these things, and so it kind of sets a little bit of tension pulling the two apart. And one of the most climatic moments in this uh, this unique uh, a relationship of these two boys is when Esau's been out hunting one day, and he's just exasperated. He didn't take any meal, uh, any food this time, and he comes in, and lo and behold, as he's getting near the camp, he can smell the sweet fragrance of lentil soup in the air, and he hasn't eaten in a couple of days, and he's just famished, and he comes in, and it's not his mother cooking the soup, it's his brother Jacob. How many know sometimes their kids can be a little bit my, I mean, my daughter Amber used to put her leftover Sonic meal in the refrigerator. And she would write on there. To, so her three brothers, she would say, if you eat this, you will die. <laughs> and that's funny right there. I don't care where you're from. And Jacob, though, takes this as a moment. And Jacob manipulates, if you will... He catches his brother in a very difficult time, and there's a couple of things that was par to course for that that era called the birthright and the blessing. The birthright of the firstborn and the blessing of the firstborn, and Jacob offers him a bowl of soup if he will grant him his birthright. It's, you've read about it. I'm just kind of bringing it because it's all a part of the narrative, and so Esau trades his divine birthright of inheritance for a bowl of lentil soup, and then Later in the story, a moment comes when Esau is in pursuit of the blessing. He's still got the blessing. He's lost the birthright, but he's still got the blessing. And he comes to his father, and he says, Dad, I want you to bless me. And so his father's dim-eyed at that particular time. He seems to be aged, and he said, well, if you'll go out and you'll draw your bow and you'll kill us a, a great deer, a stag of some type, and prepare it you know how much I love it I'll eat it and then I'll bless you and you know the story I'm not going to go into all the detail you got to read it on your own but through when when Rebecca hears about it as he's out as Esaus out hunting uh, he, Rebecca calls Jacob and says look this is our moment to not only have the birthright, but we can get the blessing too and so through uh, through uh, manipulation and through uh, just conniving together they put skins coats of skins on the neck of Jacob put hair on his hand and he goes in and his eye his father's eyes are dim and he can't see and he literally speaks a prophetic blessing upon Jacob thinking or presuming it's Esau and when that prophetic word goes out it's not going to return void He can't retract it. He can't take it back. He's a that prophetic blessing upon his son. And when all this comes through, when all this takes place, I mean, the heart of Esau later is just burning in hatred towards his brother because he feels like his brother took advantage of him when he came famished from the field and he lost his birthright. And now his brother has taken his blessing and his brother Esau plots to kill Jacob upon the death of his father. Now, he didn't know his father was going to live a lot longer, and the word gets back to Rebecca. She hears about it, and she says, I've got to do something, so she talks to Isaac, and she said, she, because Esau has, uh, it, it has gotten married at this time, but, but Isaac uh, has not, or, or Esau is about to get married, and, I, and Jacob, excuse me, Jacob is not, and she said, you know what? I don't want Jacob to take a son of these Canaanites around us. Let's send him back to my people. Let's go all the way back. It's 550 miles by foot to Haran, and make, let him make that journey, and that'll give us some time and space between Esau, and maybe his anger will subside, and one day he'll come back, and everything's going to be okay. And so the 29th chapter, I think it is, or the 28th chapter of the book of Genesis picks up that narrative, where Jacob says goodbye it's a new day for him it's like graduating high school it's about like you know life in front of him whether he's going off to college the workforce or the military this is his moment he says goodbye to mom he says goodbye to dad he just lifts his head up and looks away from Esau and he begins with nothing but a staff in his hand and perhaps a little bit of a pouch and the clothes on his back and in that pouch is probably some provisions for the way he begins to make his journey this is his moment to be his own self this is his moment no mom and dad hovering over him no brother to hide from. He can be his own person and he stops and, and, and he starts this journey and he's walking on these cobbles, on these, these rocky ridges as he's making this journey that is uh, going to take him back to her, uh, to Haran and the Bible tells us though on the first day of his journey as the sun begins to set I'm sure all kinds of emotions are flooding his heart and mind and you know many of us we were there and we were 17 or 18 we were going to take the, you know, the world by storm but I'm telling you what it becomes a lot bigger when you step outside of your parents' house or tent. Come on, somebody. It suddenly becomes so much more challenging. And he feels the pressure of that moment, and he has no bed to sleep in, no tent to cover him. He only stops there because the daylight has subsided, and he finds nothing more than a place to, to take his rest than a pile of rocks. And there, while he's bedded down on a pile of rocks, he falls into a deep sleep. And suddenly, the God of his father Abraham how many of you know God knows where you're at? The God of His Father Abraham and the God of His Father Isaac appears to him in a dream, and in that dream that he sees a ladder, and in that on that ladder he sees angels ascending and descending, going upward and coming downward, and above the ladder he sees some type of silhouette of the God of Abraham. And the God of Abraham speaks to him and reaffirms the covenant with him that was promised to Abraham and to Isaac. And this is a young boy who's really never shown a lot of interest in kingdom things or spiritual things up until this point and this time. And he promises him, he said, I'm going br- to be with you, I'm going to keep you, and I'm going to bring you back to the land that you're leaving right now. And when Jacob finally comes out of that slumber and that sleep and he wakens himself and begins to wipe the sand from his eyes, and he begins to become Aware, he begins to realize of the, and his mind draws his attention to the dream in which he has just received, and he knows it's a divine moment, and he recognizes it, and he even says it. He says, he says, he said, "This, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it." And and he he said, "This place is awesome, even dreadful." He was so overwhelmed by the presence of God, and he makes a vow to God, and he says, "God, if you will." keep me and if you will preserve me and if you will bring me back to this land he said then you'll be my god and and he said and and he said and i'll even bring you a tithe of all the blessing that you put upon my life and jacob does something very very unique at that moment there seems to be a stone a stone that perhaps he had pillowed his head on and he takes that stone and it was laying horizontal for his bed or for his pillow but he raises it up and it goes from horizontal to vertical. It's it's almost as if it's a reflection of what's going on in his heart. Because up until that time, it seemed like every part of his relationship and his communion and his fellowship was, was horizontal. He really didn't have time for a vertical communion with God. But now when he raises that stone up, it seems as if God is doing something in his heart and life. Perhaps this is a revelation of his spiritual journey. And he takes a little bit of oil that's hid in the pouch that he had left that his mom had probably given him when he left the tent and he pour, left her tent and he pours oil upon that rock and he calls it. Bethel the house of God come on somebody amen Jacob then with this new spiritual experience continues on his journey 550 miles by foot would take you in that climate over 30 days 30 days and he arrives there at Haran where he does encounter his mother's brother Laban and he she's he's got children and if you know the story over the next 14 years Jacob serves Laban as chief shepherd and he gains the right to marry first Rachel but it happened to be Leah and then and then Rachel and so it was a two-for-one package deal in those days I suppose and that's where things get a little bit odd. Uh, I I put it this way, Jacob finds himself starring in an episode of Sister Wives. We'll just move on from there. there. (laughs) Come on, somebody. I'm just making it real for you here today, and and, and not only that, he didn't just have Rachel and Leah, but then he had two handmaidens, And I told you there's a lot going on, there's sons and daughters, but in the midst of all of that, God begins to fulfill the promise he made to Jacob, and he begins to bless him. And this young man that crossed over with nothing more than a staff and a little pouch and hope and promise in his heart, God begins to bring cattle and sheep and camels and men servants and maid servants, and over a 20-year period of time, he becomes the most prosperous man in the area with the wealth of his father-in-law literally transferred into his own resources sources now know this the family life is never quite easy when you're blending such a difficult and large family finding cohesiveness and agreement between Rachel and Leah their children and the children of the maidservants proves to be a very difficult thing it seems as there's always some type of strife always some type of attention one wanting the other to succeed the other and during this time it seems like there's very little time for church very little time for, you know, it's a growing family. And It's kind of some of the same excuses that we make today. Well, i got to go this, i got basketball, i I got, got, you know, soccer club, and I've got all these things, and somehow or another we kind of forget. And, and so during this time, we really find no record of, jo- of Jacob's devotion to God. And he's acutely aware of God's blessing. He knows it's come from God, but if you were to read the narrative closer, you would find that he still refers to God as the God of my father. So so he so he's something's happened inside him, but it's not full circle, it's not complete. And so after 20 years, if you read that narrative, you'll find in the 31st chapter uh, of, of the book of Genesis that the Lord comes to him and directs him and speaks to him and says, I want you to go back. It's time for you to go back to the land of your fathers, the land that I promised Abraham. And in an emotional farewell from Laban, he gathers up all of his resources and he begins this arduous journey and it was much more it was much easier when it was just him and a staff and a little bag to make this journey but now he's got four wives he's got children uh, at least 11 sons at this time i believe 10 or 11 sons at this particular time as well as daughters and the men servants and the maid servants and he's got all of these all this livestock and so it's a massive thing that he's taking it's, it's a massive caravan that's starting this journey back To the land of his nativity. This is where the story begins to really unfold to us though. Because everything is setting the stage for what we read in the 35th chapter. And if I don't go back and put you in the story until it begins to bear witness with your spirit, then the 35th chapter has no merit and no value to it, and it doesn't have a prophetic unction to it for you and for us as an assembly unless we understand it in its context. As Jacob has his entire caravan making its route back down south out of the land of Haran where his father, where his wife's brother dwelt, There's something in Jacob's heart that he is reluctant to face. And you know what that would be, Esau. The last time he saw Esau, he knew Esau was planning to kill him. And he knows that he's going to have to face the wrath of his brother. And it's during this time period that we begin to see something shift inside of Jacob. Where suddenly his spirituality becomes more sincere, more mature, a sincerity. How many of you know sometimes crisis often fosters devotion? Because <laughs> he knew he was, he's still a man of the plain. He's still uncomfortable in combat and warfare, and plus, especially with his brother. And in the 32nd chapter of the book of Genesis, we find a prayer. Up until this point, the only prayer that we find of Jacob is when Jacob had pillowed his head at Bethel, and he said, God, if you'll bless me, I'll bring a tithe to you. We find no other devotional communion and fellowship, but on that, that southward journey, we find Jacob calling upon the God of his father. And he calls in four verses. This is all it is. It's the ninth through the twelfth verse. And he just simply prays, and he said, God, you've been with me, and you've blessed me. And he said, you're the one that told me to go back, and you know what's in front of me. And he said, God, I can't do this of myself. You've got to do it for me. And I love this, though. In this, this is where his patriarch prophetic uh, unction is starting to emerge. And he says this, he reminds God of his promise. He, in his prayer to God, he said, God, I want you to keep me. I want you to preserve me. I've got my wives. I've got my children. I've got all this livestock. I've got my family that I'm going to embrace and then he said this he said God by the way you're the one that said you would bless me you're the one that you said my sons and daughters would be like the stars in a night sky or like the dust in the air or the sand on the seashore you're the one God and if you said it God that I'm going to expect you to fulfill it so we're seeing him begin to mature in his faith and on that very same day that he praised that prayer something happens and I wonder if one is in response to the other So they come to a particular place along the journey where there's a ford or a creek that's dividing them from where they are to where they need to go. And Jacob does something on the very same day that he's prayed this prophetic prayer. He sends his family over, his wives and children and all the livestock, men servants, maidservants. And Jacob does something unique for whatever reason. He chooses to stay alone on the other side. And in that moment, you can only imagine what's going through his mind. What's going through is hard. I don't know about you. Have you ever thought about escapism? I'll tell you what, sometimes the pressures of life come upon you so heavy that sometimes that's a route that you often want to choose. And then a unique thing happens on this night. Alone under the starry night sky, I imagine if ever there was anybody that possibly spoke in tongues, it could have been Jacob on that night because he's alone and he thinks he's alone and all of a sudden he hears uh, the sound of footsteps through the darkness walking near him and it's not anybody in his caravan and it's an unnamed and unknown figure that jumps on Jacob and Jacob finds himself uh, in a fight for survival the man of the plains is locked down it's in this is the moment and he is in a fight to, uh, to, to the very end where he knows this is a critical moment and, and so as the day begins to dawn, he realizes after the struggle has continued for many hours, many hours there, I wonder about the voices that were across the creek, across the ford, across the j River, whatever it was, I wonder if they could hear the struggle on the other side knowing that their future was hanging in the balance and a man of the plains had come to this moment where he recognized this was a divine moment. He began to discern, this is no ordinary canaanite this is no ordinary man this is a divine encounter with a holy one and jacob recognizes that this is somebody that's embodying the presence of almighty god and so jacob as the sun begins to dawn on the next morrow he prays a prayer to the man and he says this he said i'm not going to let you go until you bless me And the man said this, the man said, You got to let me go. And he said, Absolutely not. I will hold on to my final breath until I receive the divine blessing of Almighty God. And the Bible says that the man touched Jacob in the hollow of his thigh, and he walked with a limp from that day forward. And I want you to know today how many know that should be a part of every one of our journey. Every one of us, if we're ever going to become the person that God has called us to be, you better have a moment where you don't wrestle just with the flesh and you don't just wrestle with principalities and powers, but that you get alone with God and you wrestle with the divine purposes and presence of Almighty God until He shapes you, forms you, changes you, renews you, makes you into a different person, takes away upon your dependency upon yourself, takes away your conniving spirit, takes away your manipulating heart, and he begins to shape you. It was on that night that the angel spoke the prophetic word over Jacob and said, Jacob, up until this time, all you've ever been is a deceiver, a manipulator, a a conniver. But he said, but from this day forward, from this day forward, as you walk leaning upon your staff, he said, I'm going to call you Israel because you are a prince before God. I want you to know that's when family destinies and generations begin to change. When a patriarch among us says, I'm going to wrestle this thing out until I get the favor of God upon us. <laughs> Woo, that's good preaching today. Amen. I don't know about you, but every time I read that story, I find myself. I find myself on the Jabok River. And I can hear the sound of it flowing. And in the darkness, I know that that same God will bless me if I hold on to him tightly. Come on, somebody. Now, I know this story goes further, and i got to speed it up just a little bit, or I'll preach all day. We will go right in from the a.m. service to the p.m. service. I have to be very careful. But the beauty of the story is this. When Jacob does meet Esau, God has gone in front of him. How many of you have ever had that moment in your life? You were just so dreading something. It was just exasperating every bit of life out of you, and you didn't want to do it, and you hated to do it. And then when you got near to it, you found that the God of all grace had gone in front of you. And he had already softened the heart of Esau. And so there is no war and there's no conflict. Actually, Esau shows a lot of character. And he cares for Jacob on that moment. And they weep on each other's shoulder. But with this, though, we find that Jacob, who is growing and maturing in faith, can still revert back to some of his immaturity. Because he promises Esau that I'll follow you just a little bit behind. It's, our caravan's too slow. I can't keep up with your men, but we're gonna we'll follow behind you. But he does it. Esau goes one way. And Jacob goes the other. And here's where he does though. He finds himself traveling to a city of Canaan, a city called Shechem. And it's there at Shechem we begin to see something. He erects an altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord. That sounds spiritual, but it's not. In essence, what he did was he said this. All right, family, we're going to have family devotions here at home. We're just going to worship at home. We're, we're going to do our best. We're living here beside the Canaanites. We're just going to do our best. We can, we've got something else that we could go to, a place we could go, but we're just going to do it right here. And so after a period of time, his, young, his eldest daughter does what a lot of teenagers do, goes out on Friday nights. And it's not long before she's involved in a relationship with some of the Canaanites. And it's not long before she finds herself being violated by the prince of the Canaanite city. And it's a very awkward passage. It's the 34th chapter leading up to the chapter in which we commence this journey with. And it's a really tough moment here because Jacob's sons are nearing adulthood. And, and during this process, we find that, uh, that the, the king of Shechem desires intermarriages with Jacob's family. And many years ago when I had originally preached this part of this sermon, I wrote it this way. I'm going to remind some of you here today. You need to hear this. The world wants your children. The world wants your children, especially when you camp close to them. And the world will pay you a dowry to get them. Right, they want your children, and so in this process that goes on, when when the when the sons of Jacob finds out that their daughter, that their sister has been violated, they are angered, but Jacob seems a little bit indifferent towards it, and it produces contention between the boys and the dad. And then the boys do something that puts the whole family at risk. The boys go out and make a false covenant with the Canaanites. And, and say, yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and do that. We'll become one people. We'll become one people. We won't tell Dad about this. We 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 will become one with you, but we need you to do something. We're circumcised. You're not. And if we're gonna have, if we're gonna become one people, you're going to be circumcised. And so I'm talking about you're talking about Jerry Springer type stuff that's going on right here. And so, th- so they they talk the men of Shechem into circumcision. And about the third day, when those men are laying there at home in their village recovering from circumcision, uh, Jacob's sons come armed with sword and kill every male in the village and and then take their wives and children and livestock back out to where they're dwelling in their village and when Jacob hears about it he is distraught because he knows that word will travel to these other cities and they'll come out and retaliate and destroy their entire family And so it's a very, very tough moment. It's one of the greatest family conflicts that they've ever endured. And it's in a moment like this that the prophetic word of Almighty God comes to Jacob and it's from that upon which I want to take to begin to narrow this message towards closing because a lot can happen. Have you ever had those moments in your life uh, when there was a precarious moment where everything could go one way or the other and if you make the wrong decision everything you've worked for, everything that you'd hoped for, all the prophetic promises can be lost and they can be lost uh, due to our ignorance and our error but in that moment a renewed prophetic voice comes to Jacob and I love those words. that resound in my spirit every time I hear them. The prophetic word of God came to Jacob that day and here's what he said. He said, Jacob I want you to get up and I want you to go back to Bethel. I want you to go back to where I first met you. In order for you to go forward, in order for you to be who I've called you to be, sometimes you gotta go back. You gotta go back to the place where you had encountered my presence for the very first time. Go back to the place where the glory of God came upon you. Go back back to the place of your first love. Go back to the house of God. Get your family out of the Canaanite villages. Get your family out from all the things that are trying to strip them and strip them of their prophetic promises. And I want you to load them up and make the arduous tasks from where you're at in Shechem and go up to Bethel because I'm going to meet with you there. Glory to God. And I feel in my spirit that that is a prophetic word for many in this church and our church as a whole. We need to go back to Bethel. glory to God. We need to get back to that place of that divine presence of Almighty God. I don't know about you, but I love the house of God. I love the presence of God. I love church. I thank God for doctrine. I thank God for Sunday school. I thank God for fellowship. All that's good, but that's secondary to the reason why I'm here. I came into this house because this house is dedicated as a house of Almighty God. And in this moment, the supernatural power and glory of an invisible God can be clearly seen. The The inaudible voice of Almighty God suddenly begins to be heard. And we are able to experience His presence in the house of Almighty God. Thank God for Bethel today. And there's a powerful passage of Scripture. There's some things i got to dialogue with you in closing today is. I love this, and it's the when you look at this in elevation, Shechem is a thousand feet below the elevation of Bethel. And God had told Jacob, go up to Bethel. Did you know many are living below the place God has for them? Because we've settled, we've adapted to a lower place of living. But if we're gonna go forward in 2024, we gotta go to a higher place. Come on, somebody, and going to a higher place, sometimes you gotta go back. And this story here, as it closes in front of us, there is just something that's powerful in it, something that we can see. The man, Jacob, the man of the plain, the man that's often fearful of conflict and contention suddenly gets a holy boldness. How many you know in order to lead your family, you got to have a holy boldness? I'm not talking about a holy arrogance. I'm telling you, faith is often forceful. It's demanding, it's not wavering, it's not arrogant, but it is bold, and it is not abusive. Come on, somebody, but it is very directive. I love what Jacob did to his family. He called all of his family, his four wives, he called his 11 sons. Uh, At that time, I don't know if the 12th, the 12th, I don't think, had yet been born. And he said, and then his daughters, he gathered them all together, and he he didn't give them options. He gave them direction. Whoa! I feel Jesus. Sometimes as a parent, that's just where you find yourself. This is not between door number one, door number two, and door number three, and you pick out the one that you think is best for you. We're going to do it this way because we as a family are going to go back to Bethel. Because if we're going to go forward, if we're going to be the people God's called us, if you're going to be the family that God's called you to be, then brother or sister, you better make the house of God a priority in 2024. And he told his family, he said this, you better put away the strange gods. I'm telling you what, a lot of us could put, uh, we could put strange gods on the altar today if we would. Right? There's things in our own lives uh, that need to be buried under that same oak uh, called the cross of Calvary. There's a lot of things in our lives if we were just transparent enough, honest enough with God. If we said, God, we've allowed some things into our life that rob us and divert us and hinder us and cause us to be contaminated with the world. Oh, I know y'all aren't shouting me down on that, but I'm going to preach it because I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to my own personal convictions. It's easy to camp near the Canaanite city and be influenced by the Canaanite. But the Lord then, through Jacob, Jacob told his family, he said, I want you to be clean. you got to be washed. you got to wash yourself. And then he said, you want to change your garment. I love this. He said, change your attitude. <laughs> that clothing reflects your attitude. I remember as a parent of six children, sometimes those were words that we had to say. You need to change your attitude. Is there a parent in here under the sound of my voice that's ever had to tell your children, listen, you got to change your attitude. We're not going to do that. I don't talk to you that way. You're not going to talk to me that way, glory to God. And so all of this is a process because it's moving a family that had divine promise back to the place where God destined them to be. And it is a journey, and it's not without challenge, and it's not without contention, and it's not without arguing, right? It's not without reluctance, right? The same children, they're like, Dad, can I have some money on Friday night because I want to go out with my friends? But then when you say, I want you to come to church with me on Sunday, what's it going to be? 2024, you can't go forward sometimes without going back. I think we need to put priority on the house of God in 2024. I think we need to put priority about coming together in covenant fellowship and experiencing the presence of God. Because the presence of God is what changes the life of an individual, marks you deeply, and your children need to be involved. And along this journey, I'm sure there was complaining, fighting, and contentions. How I know that, don't ask me. (laughs) I'm sure they heard, I don't want to go, why do we have to leave? But Jacob, limping as he journeys, brings his family back to Bethel. And there at Bethel, he painstakingly builds an altar to God. Gathering stones from the hillside, Jacob, the man of the plain, has now come full circle. He builds an altar where an altar is supposed to be built, at God's house. Come on, somebody. And I'm not saying for no stretch of the imagination that you don't need private devotion at home. Obviously, you do. But private devotion at home is never to take the place of the corporate gathering of the saints of Almighty God. I'm afraid in our culture today, we've, the church, all of us in the church, we've allowed the culture to dictate for us of what the church should be, right? And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what it is. It is the house of God. It is the gateway to heaven. Right? It's here that Christ is preached, right? And the glory of God can still be experienced. His presence can be known and your life can be changed. Here at these altars, you can wrestle with God and walk away a different person. Here at these altars, you can hear prophetic voices, the Spirit of God speaking to your heart, directing your steps. Here in the presence of Almighty God, God can mold you and shape you until you walk out of here knowing that you can go forward because you went back. Man, that's a good word right there. You can go forward because you went back, and you went back and you made God a priority in your life. As Aaron joins me on the platform today, I just feel the time to close this message has come because Jacob has come full circle. He's heard the voice of God. God said, go back to Bethel. And I just feel in my spirit, that's a word for many under the sound of my voice. Church should be a place that you embrace the presence of Almighty God. Church should be a place where you, you make it a priority in your life. It's never going to just happen. The culture will strip it away from you. You'll be just like Jacob. You'll be near the Canaanite city. The children will be interacting with the Canaanites. Uh, and their influence will be upon you. And there'll be contention in your home. And all the while, the house of God will be neglected. But if you and I will determine in our heart and hear the voice of God through the prophetic word that was spoken to Jacob, God can speak to us today. And I believe you can go forward in 2024. I believe your family, hallelujah, your family can have a prophetic blessing upon it. And you can have your, God's blessing upon you as you go forward. But sometimes to go forward, you got to go back. You go back to that place where God first met you. And his presence changed your life. And did you know because Jacob raised that altar up one more time, raised that stone up one more time, the Spirit of God came appeared to him again. He heard God's voice. And God spoke to him. And God reaffirmed the promises that he had previously made. That you will be blessed. The blessing of your father, the blessing of your grandfather is going to be yours. And listen to this. And your children are gonna be blessed after you. Isn't that where we all find ourselves in that place? No matter what season of life we're in, we find ourselves, we've got some that's in front of us. We've got some that they walked in divine favor, and we always feel like we're walking in their shadow just a little bit, never really measuring up. But then God begins to speak to us and say, But wait a minute. You say, Wait a minute. God's not saying, Wait a minute. But you say, wait, wait just a minute. You begin to realize, wait a minute, I, I'm an heir to these things. I'm taking the baton. Come on, somebody. But then when you run with it, you also then realize, wait a minute, there's going to come a moment when I'm going to pass it behind me. And we've all found ourselves many times throughout the course of life, why do you want to be blessed? Why do you want to walk in the favor of God? Why do you want the grace of God to be upon you? Is it so you can just consume it upon your own lust? Or is it so that you can pass it? To others that have come through you or come near you or that are part of your life that you can pass the prophetic blessing of God. Isn't it amazing that all these things took place out in an open field, a pile of rocks with one rock turned from horizontal to vertical? And there the God of all grace met him, the gate of heaven, the house of God, Bethel. Did you know that's a prophetic picture of the corporate Services of the body of Christ coming together. That's what it is. You say, Pastor, is that so? Yeah, do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, If two or three of you will gather together, if you just come together in unity, joining your hearts together, knitting yourself together, he said, There I'll be in the midst of you. The presence of God. I felt Jesus in this room today. Have you? I haven't seen him with my natural eye, I haven't heard his audible voice, but somehow so- away I-, I heard his voice in the word. Somehow or another I could feel the presence of God around me. I hope that you could say within yourself, you know what, this is nothing more than a, a metal building with sheetrock walls and concrete floors. But we've dedicated it as the house of God corporately and collectively and when we come together god obligates himself to join us here what a blessing that is what a special thing that is did you know i noticed something for the first time i don't know how i have preached this i have preached this many times over the years going back to pastoring up in shirley till now this is probably my sixth or seventh time to preach this narrative and i love i love every minute i can't apologize to you for preaching a familiar text but with all of that, how strange that I miss one thing that's so important, so important to it. So when this moment's not really past, but as it's coming to a close, kind of like one of my sermons coming to a close, Jacob takes that stone, as I mentioned, and it must have been horizontal again, and he raised it up vertical. And then he does something. And I've always just I've always just seen the one anointed with oil, but that's not what he did first. He takes a drink offering, which would have been wine, red wine, poured over the top. And and then he took the oil and poured the oil on it. And, And I think that's a little bit of a reflection of faith, because wine typically represents the blood, and the oil represents the spirit. It was almost like Jacob said, God, this is it, my faith through the power of the blood and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I hope that by coming to God's house, you have confidence that your faith gains its vigor from the power of the blood and the power of the Spirit. Arise, Jacob will not you all stand up with me today? Arise, Jacob. Go back to Bethel. Do you feel that today? Does that resound in your spirit today? Who will come to the altar with me? And just first Sunday in 2024, we dedicate ourselves to the Lord. We commit our families to him. Come on, somebody. Who will? Who will take those steps? Who will take that journey? Jacob's journey was much longer than yours journey is just 40 feet 50 feet 60 feet from the back row to the front that's all it is but it's sometimes it's more than that sometimes you're pushing past all your practices all your learned habitual practices and you're saying i'm going to break all of those off because i'm going back to bethel i'm laying aside these things i don't know about you but i feel in my heart some people need to bury something under the oak tree today do you feel that in your spirit do you feel that in your spirit? Is there something in your life that needs to be buried under the oak tree? Something that you say, God, I've carried this too long. I've participated in this. It might be unforgiveness. It might be something you're doing. It might be a habit or a practice or whatever the case. It might be the Internet. It might be your iPhone. It might be whatever it is. It could be a relationship. It could be unforgiveness that you've harbored in your heart. But God said today, it under the oak. Don't carry it. Don't carry it with you any longer. Let it go. Let it go today. Maybe you need to wash yourself today. Maybe you need to wash your mind and your thoughts. Come on, are y'all praying with me right now? I'm just praying out loud. My eyes are closed. And I'm just praying out loud. This is God's house. This is between you and God. I can't do it for you. I can't pray this prayer for you. I can only just put you in an environment where you say, this is the house of God. This is the presence of God. Maybe your family, maybe your teenagers are with you. Some of you that are in that that age where you've got teenagers, your your children are in children's church, but your teenagers, then I I wouldn't be afraid to gather them up beside me and just say, you know what? Uh, We got prophetic blessing upon us and we're not going to camp so close to the Canaan land anymore. We're not going to go to the Canaanite city any longer. We're going to go to Bethel because God said this, go to Bethel and dwell there. He said, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make that a part of who you are. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're just praying together as a family. God, we're praying together as a family, God. We're changing our garments. We're changing our attitude. We're changing our patterns of life. We're washing to be made clean. We're making new. Who who will pray a new commitment to God, to the house of God, to being faithful? Let it sink in your spirit. Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there there's contention in your home what are you going to do about it I'm going to go to Bethel there's contention and there's fragmented relationships what are you going to do I'm going to go to Bethel I'm going to go back to the place where I know I've got I've heard from God in the past if I've heard from him in the past there I'll hear from him there again come on somebody I'll I'll feel his presence. I'll know. I'll I'll find his affirmation in the house of God. Somebody ought to be praying in this house. Somebody ought to just be bearing down. This word ought to be resounding with every man, woman, boy, and girl under the sound of my voice. That in 2024, when a lot's going on, it's an election year. There's sports activities. There's all types of confusion. There's economic crises. There's a polar vortex. There's all those things. But, God, we want to lay all that aside and say, I want to go back to Bethel. I want to go back to the communion. I want to pillow my head on the rock one more time. I want to lay my head on that stone one more time, God. I want to feel the the sweet fragrance of Almighty God in His presence. Almighty God, the presence of God in this room, again, fresh and new. For me and my family and my house, if you consider yourself a patriarch in your house, you ought to be praying for your family right now. You ought to be blessing them and calling upon the name of the Lord, and speaking life over them in the name of Jesus. God, I'm not going to Bethel alone. I'm going to bring my family with me. Come on, somebody. If your family's at home, and your children, your grandchildren, whatever, you you're, you take care of them, whatever it is they've been committed to your care, then by the Spirit of God, we're going to be a part of the house of God. We're going to be pillars in the house of God. The oil's going to be upon us. The blood's upon us. We're going to be having the fragrance of Christ on us, and Jesus name this is the house of God this is the gate of heaven from here the angels go up from here the angels come down it's here that the glory of God is known it's here that destinies are revealed it's here that patriarch promises are made it's here that people's lives are altered and changed in Jesus name it's here that you'll walk differently it's here that you'll hear his voice it's here amongst the people of God the spirit of the Lord is in this house today Lord, it's Bethel. Come on, somebody. It's Bethel. It's the house of God. It's the gate of heaven. You were called to it. You're called to dwell there. I love that. God said dwell there. Come on now. Do you feel it in your spirit right there? God, I feel this in my spirit. I knew. I knew this was the word for this fellowship, God, that you just, you altered my pattern, my study habits, you altered them, God, so that I would have the courage to bring this message to the people, to tell the people that if they want to go forward, they got to go back. Do you hear that today? For your family, to go forward, you got to go back. Go back to the beginning, go back to the place. Go back to that place of dedication and consecration. Go back to that place of separation. Come on, somebody, where the Spirit of God's fresh and new in your heart and life. As our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, we're just praying to God quietly, loudly. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. i I got a microphone. I can speak over you. You pray. You pray the way you want to pray. Father, what a privilege I have to lead such a wonderful group of men and women. They led their families, but God, my job is to lead this family, to lead this family, God, to make this place a place of dedication, consecration. If there's sin in your life, church family, don't carry it. Lay it aside. Trust the Lord. Ask His forgiveness. Did you know the Bible says that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we repent of our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What I love, the beauty of this moment here, it's not about me pointing my finger at you, it's about just simply all of us just praying to God, saying, God, I want to be clean. I want to be clean in my heart, my life, my spirit. If there's anything in your heart, there's no greater place in the house of God than to pray. I tell you, the common prayer that ought to be heard echoing in the and the sound in this sanctuary is the sound of repentance repentance shouldn't be something that we're afraid to pray we shouldn't be ashamed to come to god's house and say oh god forgive me as a matter of fact jesus taught a parable and he said two men came to church one was very righteous and said lord i'm glad i'm not like these sinner folk the other one beat on his chest and said god forgive me i've sinned and the bible says he's the one that went away justified So, God, today in this room, today, let all of us have that type of freedom and desire in our heart to say, God, would you wash me clean? Purge my heart. Purge me of all sin. Cleanse me, O God, in a way that's pleasing to you. Wash me today and let me put on new garments, God, a whole new attitude, a whole new spirit. Just a, a, a new energy, a new desire. God, let my journey be marked by change. When I walk, let me walk differently. When I talk, let me talk differently. When I speak, and I speak over my family or my, those that are part of me, let me speak with prophetic giftings. Let me speak as a person who's received something from God. Because when you've received something from God, you give for the Lord. You then become that conduit that what he put in you, you pass to others. God, today, who will right now, right now, before we close, before I'll say the final prayer blessing over you and your family today, who will pray right where you're at over your family? Who will? Who will join your voices right now and just say, God, I'm speaking over my family. I'm speaking live. We're going to Bethel. We're going back to Bethel. God, you're going to make us pillars in the house of God. In the name of Jesus, God. God, we believe we're going to. We're going to break away from Canaanite cities. Come on, somebody. We've camped too close to Shechem. God said, let's go up to Bethel. Let's be different. Let's be called out. Let's be distinct. Let's be who God's called us to be. We don't have to be the world because we're not the world. God, we've got a, a distinct and divine call in our life. Let the people, let we pray that prayer. You pray it. I'm not, I can't tell you what to pray. You just pray out of the sincerity of your heart. This is the house of God. We ought to dedicate ourselves. It's the first of the year. There's no greater time than to say, God, I want to go forward because I came back. I came back. Some of you are new to our church today. Some of you, I think, walked in for the very first time. God led you here. You didn't know it. God led you here because he wanted you to be confronted with this message. To go forward, you got to go back. You go back to the place. Go back to this moment. Go back to his presence. Go back to humility. Go back to brokenness before God. Go back to depending upon Him, not upon yourself. Father, today I'm bringing this message to an entirety of a close right here, God. I've preached and I've prayed and I've prophesied. What a privilege it is to be able to speak the word to this church family, to encourage them. And on this first Sunday of 2024, as they commit themselves and dedicate their family to the house of God. I de- I dedicate them as a corporate body. If you're looking for a people to visit. Come on someone, pray that with me. If you're looking for a people where you'll come down. And I know people you can make it theological. Oh God's here and he's everywhere. I know. I know. But he reveals his presence. He chooses times and seasons, people and places. To reveal his presence. God if you're looking for people. Let it be the people of Hebrew Springs First Assembly. That when we come together. There will be a a tangible presence of the living God. In our midst. Marking us. Causing us to be. A different people. So I pray that with my church family. Lord in the name of Jesus today. On this the first Sunday of 2020. Twenty-four. If you'll just look this way with me, I'll just ask you to join. I said I wouldn't be in numbers, but I will to close. On this wise, you shall bless. It says the children of Israel, I'll say the people of first assembly and say unto them, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you And be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may he give you peace. Church family, thank you so much for being in the Lord's house today. Love one another as you're dismissed. Let me remind you what a special service tonight. As we pass the baton. As we honor those that have served and we embrace those that are now serving. So I want to encourage you. It's at 5 p.m. tonight. Be here. I believe you'll experience God's presence. Love one another. Thank you for being in God's house today. Pray as long as you like. They will be, they'll, we'll be respectful.